Hey, everybody. Welcome to our quarantine edition of the McGovern Report. I, Rachel Wong, am here with my co-host, Oz Davis, and we're going to be talking about some great movies to watch during quarantine. We have picked the best movies based on rewatchability, and we're hoping that if you have some time to kill or you're trying to kill some time, that we will be of service to you by serving up some of the best cinema out there. That's Tom Hanks playing Zachary, member of a primitive band of humans living in post-apocalyptic Hawaii, could could be a worse place, in the incredibly polarizing epic film Cloud Atlas. It's one of multiple roles played by Tom Hanks in a story that takes place across six or even seven time periods and movie genres. Those are, uh, we have seafaring in the mid-19th century, we have drama in 1930s Europe. We have police drama in 1970s San Francisco. British comedy in 2012 England. Science fiction action adventure in 22nd century neo-soul Korea. And some unknown time in the post-apocalyptic future. We also get a glimpse of an even future-flung sort of Star Trek kind of human colonization future as well. But we only get that for a few seconds. Cloud Atlas is the kind of movie I think that needs to be watched a little bit differently. Okay, Go back a little bit. When so-called art directors like Fellini or Renoir or Antonini Antonioni or Antonioni or Herzog or even Terrence Malick were making movies, they weren't making art movies, right? They were making movies. As they saw it. And Cloud Atlas is that kind of movie. You you could be fooled into thinking that this is an attempt at an art movie, but it's not. It's just a movie done in a different way. You're going to want to make order out of these six or seven various stories that are cut together. They're interwoven, not so much directly. So you're going to be looking for those connections, and they're just not there. <laughs> but rather by image, by theme, by dialogue even, act, something like that, okay? The directing team behind this, this is actually directed by three individuals. It's the Wachowskis along with German director um, Tom Teichver. Oh, God, these German names. Directed by Tom Tweiker are leaning more on visual elements. They're leaning more on themes you know, movie stuff than on conventional storytelling to assist in, in telling this very complex story. Um, there are themes running through each of the stories. Uh, for example, some of the themes are freedom and slavery. Uh, escape is a big one. Almost every single main character in each of these stories wants to escape from something. Uh, and most importantly, in my opinion, how 
these acts of kindness really do change society for the better. And I think this is something that people kind of miss, kind of a forest for the trees kind of thing, because this movie does go very fast. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of things happening. The connection, the secret, the key to understanding everything in this movie is given to you right towards the end. It's right within the last minute or two of the movie in the final scene set in the American South. And I think Wikipedia tells me 1849. I don't know. It's pre-Civil War is the main point. Um, like I said before, this movie is very polarizing. But one aspect that really seems to get praise, even among the haters of Cloud Atlas, is the ensemble cast. Uh, Tom Hanks, of course, stars. Of course, everybody loves everything Tom Hanks is in, more or less, uh, along with Halle Berry, Jim Broadbent, Jim Sturgis. And my particular favorite in the film, which is Duna Bai. Uh, I had never seen her before. Apparently, this is the first film she had done outside of Korea. I mean, for my money, she's the real winner of this film. And her two characters are really, they kind of end up being a hero of the movie, even though she doesn't necessarily get the most screen time of everybody else. Uh, some of the supporting actors, again, in multiple roles, include Hugh Grant, our boy Hugh Grant from previous episodes back. Susan Sarandon, Hugo Weaving, who gets to flex those cross-dressing muscles he first worked out in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Excellent movie. Uh, Keith David and Ben Wishlaw. And finally, just one more thing on this film before I end the geekery. Uh, for those with an ear for music, you'll definitely want to pay attention to the soundtrack. Uh, basically, the entire soundtrack, the score for this, is based on variations of a song called Cloud Atlas Sextet. Now, in the movie, this is a fictional uh, piece composed by the Robert Robert Frobisher character in the 1930s story, but it's actually written by Zweigver and others he'd worked with before on soundtracks, including one of my all-time favorites, Run Lola Run. Um, so it's definitely a nice bit. I, I really enjoy soundtracks, which are purposely created for the movie with a purpose in mind. And the purpose of the score of the soundtrack is to unite the characters and the themes of the movie in a way beyond the actual explanation for why these characters are doing the things they do and why they're in this movie together. Um, but enough from the geek boy. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. And so I've said enough already. You may not love it as much as me. You probably won't. But I hope you don't hate it. Did you hate it, Rachel? So, Cloud Atlas, this was the first time I had seen this. This was a 2016 movie, was it? No, 2012. 2012. 2012. Um, this was my first time watching it. I remember my brothers telling me about it. They had watched it on a plane. We were going somewhere as a family, um, but I had never seen it. This is an incredibly ambitious film. I thought The Matrix was ambitious. <laughs> this trumps that ten times over. The Matrix made this film possible. Yes, that's true. If, if they didn't have the money and the cachet, this movie never would have been made. And lots of other movies that they've made. Would have never been made. Yes, I agree. Um, I loved how intricate it is. The casting, I thought, was great. Uh, who doesn't want to watch Tom Hanks play a ton of different characters? He's an Irish gangster. He is, you know, a, 
a primitive like islander. He plays a scientist that is, you know, questioning the morals of the company that he works for. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, I think though, that was kind of also the downfall of the film. Now I found the dress up incredibly distracting. Um, and I don't know if it was just that, that bumped for me. Um, I thought, you know, acting, acting wise, everything was fine. Um, but it was just when there was somebody that was in intense hair and makeup, I couldn't stop looking at them in a way where it was like, what did they do? Oh, that is okay. That is Hugo weaving. Um, and I just found that to be such a distraction. I still understood what was going on, you know, by within maybe 20, 30 minutes of it. I was like, okay, this is how they're piecing it together. And this is how I can watch this film. Like you have to, there's like kind of a, a mode that you have to snap into when you're watching this film. It is high concept. There is a way to think about this. Um, that being said, I read after writing my own review of this, I read other reviews and it's the most polarizing set of reviews I've seen on the internet thus far. Um, but a lot of fans that love it say, you know, they watch it once, they watch it a second time, they love it even more. They watch it a third time and they love it even more. Um, so maybe, you know, if you're watching it and you liked it, and but you can't, still kind of felt like you weren't quite grasping all of it, give it a second watch because this might be that for you. Um, I wanted to, but yeah, the I found the the dress up and the makeup and the prosthetics just overly distracting. It was drawing more attention to, oh my God, that's Halle, Halle Berry dressed up as an old Asian man rather than, oh, look, there's an old Asian man in the story or like an old man in the story. Um, I thought that some of the makeup just look, made the cast look way too unnatural, especially when you get to New Soul and you have Hugo Weaving and Jim Sturgis in their prosthetics to give them like maybe like some features that would resemble Asian heritage. It was just too much for me. And Jim Sturgis's character had a ton of screen time and the entire time I was distracted. Um, it wasn't so much that it was like, okay. I mean, I understood like what they were trying to do, but the prosthetics look so unnatural that they didn't look human. And I understand that was not their intention to make them look, you know, not human. They're not trying to say that, you know, people in Asia are not human. I get that. That is not what they're saying. And I recognize that. But it just wasn't working. When you have prosthetics like that, it, it doesn't move the way a human face does, at least not yet. You know, we might have technology like that later down the road, and maybe they can even re go back and remaster this with CGI nowadays or something like that. I was that. just going to say, they could certainly CGI this. Yeah, they now. could certainly CGI it, and that would bump a lot less for me. If they fixed it, I would appreciate this movie so much more, but it was just so distracting for me. And that that's that's really the main keyword for me is distracting. It was funny because going into this movie, I told my brother, I was like, hey, I'm watching this movie. I remember you talking about it. And his review of the movie was memorable. You will be thinking about it for a while after whether you want to or not. <laughs> and I thought that's a good summary of all the reviews that I've read on the Internet because people can't help but to keep writing about it. So it does grab you, but it's just, you know, a matter of personal preference of whether or not it hooks you the right way or not. Well, I'm sorry that distracted you. I actually thought that because usually I think in 
movies when you have this sort of stunt casting where you put somebody in multiple roles. It's it's just that. It's a stunt. There's one in Joe versus the Volcano, right, where Meg Ryan is playing three characters or two characters, something like that. And And to me, it's kind of just like a freak show. To me, it's just kind of like, well, it's interesting workout for the actor, but it doesn't have a point. Now, in this movie, it does have a point. Uh, I'm about to reveal that point, so if you don't want spoilers, why don't you fast forward about two, three minutes? Um, but that's this. The movie is actually about reincarnation. It's actually about what happens to souls. And so for me, like recognizing Tom Hanks, and in fact, he's almost unrecognizable in the uh, 2012 London bit as the as the gangster author uh you can hardly spot him at all if you're not looking for him and i thought that i thought that turned that sort of stunt casting into a plus uh knowing that you can follow the path of these souls which are depicted by these characters and I thought that's um, that is a way to look at the movie if you choose to do so in the conventional sense. Now I believe that the intention is that last scene where Duna's character sort of has a flash forward <laughs> to the Somni character and makes her decision based on that. I think that's supposed to hopefully make it clear that that's that that's that this movie exists in a universe where reincarnation exists, basically. So mm -hmm. to that extent, I thought that the acting was a plus. Now, if the makeup was bad for you, fine. I mean, my eyesight is terrible, so it didn't bother <laughs> me too much, even in high definition, which is how I saw it last time. But I'll tell you what, I was one of those people, and I've seen this movie seven or eight times, and I recently watched it again in, in advance of this podcast, and I wanted to see it again immediately afterwards. And I almost never feel that way about any movie. Uh, I love this movie. Yeah, for me, the the stunt casting was... I, I, I understood that this was about reincarnation, this was about souls, and this is people, the same souls, traversing through these different lifetimes. I picked up on that. I just felt that there were there was a better way that this could have done, whether or not they used the same set of actors. Like, let's take the new soul... Uh, setting where they have Hugo Weaving and Jim Sturgis with the heavy, heavy prosthetics. Um, I just, it could have been done differently. If you look at the population of New Soul, it's incredibly diverse. Mm -hmm. They did not need to be put in the heavy right. prosthetics in right. that way. It could have been done a little bit differently. They could have, you know, added wigs, changed their skin tone, and left it at that. I just didn't think. The, I just thought the prosthetics were way too distracting. Okay, now, this film has won a lot of awards for makeup. How did you feel about Duna and Halle Berry playing Southern Bells? It, that also bumped for me. I was just... Really? Yeah, I was watching it, and I was just like, this just doesn't look... Like, their faces don't look like people. Yeah, Duna looked a little strange. She looked very strange. But strangely compelling. Whether, I don't know if it was because of the contacts or because of um, the freckles, the overly applied freckles. I get that she like her character is ginger, but it was just it was distracting. Hmm. I mean, I I don't want to say that it's bad because I don't know anything about hair and makeup, but it was distracting. Hmm. That's what I can contribute as a viewer. Hmm. 
and it bumped for me so much that I just wasn't, I was still able to like understand the plot and everything and follow along with what was going on, but I wouldn't say that it made it more enjoyable. And I have been thinking about it a lot, whether I want to or not. <laughs> to quote my brother. Um, another uh, another fun bit for people, you can agree or disagree with this, but this is also from my brother. He uh, described this to me as, this is a mashup of The Matrix, Black Mirror, Love Actually, and This Is Us. Yeah, I I don't know. For me, I just tend to think of it as an homage. Again, not only are they telling stories from different time periods, they're also telling stories from movie genres that we love. And for me, this is what – you know how people always say the book was better than the movie? I've read the book. I like the movie more. Mm, that's a huge triumph. I think this is one of those instances where the movie is better than the book because the movie – the book is a great book, but it's made to be read. Mm -hmm. It's not all cut together. Mm -hmm. Basically what happens is this. You get the first half of the first story. Then you get the first half of the second story, first half of the third story, right? It goes all the way through to get to the furthest future, the whole story. And then they come back in backwards order, right? There's no way you can make a movie like that, mm -hmm. right? So they cut it up like a movie and they got rid of various other literary devices there in the book and they made it more like a movie. This is also a great study in adaptation from book to screen because the Wachowskis and Tom realized the limitations of translating stuff to the screen of doing you know i mean again it's tough to do a good movie about reincarnation mm -hmm. especially if you can't explicitly say it mm -hmm. right and so they had to find all these workarounds to doing it and the making of this movie is incredible i mean this thing has so many fits and starts it ends up being a completely independent movie probably still the most expensive independent movie ever made god i can't imagine the budget yeah, it just fits and starts. It's funny because Tom Hanks' devotion to this film is legendary, and I can just close on this. One of the ways that I always advertise this movie to other people, and I advertise this movie to other people constantly, is that Tom Hanks himself says that this is the only movie of his he's seen more than twice. I was actually going to say that. I had a fan contribution Right. Tom yeah. Hanks says Tom Hanks says that sometimes he'll even be flipping through channels and he'll stop on this movie. That's unheard of. And to see these making ofs, a lot of these other actors and actresses are getting well more out of this movie than they tend to get out of typical movies. You know, they're going, oh, my God, the themes in this are classic. And, you know, they're really gobstruck by this. I mean, it's to the point where Hugh Grant is asking for another part in this movie. You know, he wasn't originally supposed to be a headhunter, but he ends up being one. It, it, so that his soul can complete the, the journey to bottom of the barrel. <laughs> his soul does not do very well. No, not so story. much. Uh, in any case, okay, well, no matter how you feel about a cloud atlas there's no denying that tom hanks is in it so so we're going to devote the rest of this podcast to tom hanks movies the imminently watchable and rewatchable tom hanks rachel is bringing to the table a very catchy song i mean film called that thing you do I am. This ties in, actually, with that last fun fact that you had. That thing you do is among the exceptions of what Tom Hanks will 
and will not watch. He tends to, uh, thanks to a fan who contributed this fact that Oz has already mentioned, Tom Hanks does not like to watch his movies more than once. He'll watch it maybe at the premiere. I'm not sure where he watches it. But Cloud Atlas and That Thing You Do are exceptions. For Cloud Atlas, Hank says he finds something new every time he's watched it. And then for That Thing You Do, he says he's not in it that much, and it just brings back fun memories for him. Because, actually, That Thing You Do is his directorial debut. And he wrote it, too. <laughs> yes, and he wrote it, too. Yeah. Triple threat. Triple threat. And he sings and he dances. Let's get into it. <laughs> That Thing You Do, 1996 comedy drama written and directed by Tom Hanks. Once again, directorial debut. It stars Tom Hanks, Tom Everett, Scott, Liv Tyler, Steve Zahn, and Rita Wilson. This is about a local Pennsylvania band who scores a one-hit wonder in 1964 and rides the star-making machinery as long as they can, with lots of help from its manager, Tom Hanks. This is a film that I grew up watching. My mom introduced it to me and my brothers. I don't know where she'd seen it before, where she heard of it, but I remember we rented it and she put us all in front of the TV and we watched it. And so I grew up with this movie, my brothers and I, and we absolutely love it. It's so rewatchable. The beats are so well-placed. No pun intended. The beats of the story are so well-placed, and the payoff is great. You get to love each and every one of the main characters, and it really is a magical movie, as you feel like you're on a ride with these characters. Again, this is Tom Hanks' first time directing anything by himself. He Supposedly, this was written while he was on Press Junket for... Forrest Gump, and he just needed something else to do because he was answering the same questions over and over and over again. So this was this kind of mirrors Tom Hanks's rise to the top almost because Forrest Gump, he won the Oscar for and he was just getting more and more success. So it's interesting to see this story kind of mirror what he was experiencing. A couple scenes that I want to point out that are quite magical early on in it's kind of like the point of no return. So between act one and act two, there's a moment when the band's song goes on the radio and Faye played by Liv Tyler is running through the streets screaming with excitement because she can't believe she's hearing her boyfriend's band on the radio. Steve's on in the Sears Woolworth type shop is dancing around in circles out of excitement as they turn all the radios on to get the song blasting throughout the store. It was funny because Steve Zahn actually was told by Hanks to dance around like that and act like a maniac. And Zahn was like, I don't really think this is going to work. And Tom Hanks was like, no, trust me. Um, And everyone was amazed with how far Liv Tyler carried the excitement of this. And then the cast went and watched the film and they were like, wow, this really worked. That was effective. And, you know, that's kind of a credit to Tom Hanks's direction. Like he knows he knew what he was doing. Little did they know because it was his first time directing. And this is kind of like the launching point for a lot of these uh, younger actors careers as well. Tom Hanks actually kind of tried not to cast Tom Everett Scott because he felt that he looked too much like him when he was younger. See, I have a few other fun facts here. The song was written by the late Adam uh, Schlesinger. It was actually, the, the studio actually put a contest up, and Adam Schlesinger, who was the lead singer of Fountains of Wayne, submitted the song and won. Let's see. Tom Hanks' production company is named after the fictional record company in the film, Playtone, Playtone Records. Jonathan Shetch, who plays Jimmy, 
has actually been kicked by a kid for the way his character treats his on-screen girlfriend. I think he had to tell the kid, like, that wasn't real, but I'm sure he took it in good humor. My last fun fact here is that Liv Tyler actually relates to this movie heavily. She is actually the daughter of the Aerosmith lead singer Steven Tyler, if you didn't know that. So this was actually the perfect role for her because she has had all this experience being backstage and, you know, being in with the band. So that brings a lot of authenticity to it. I have way more fun facts about this movie because I love it so much. So much so that me and my brothers actually learned to play this song on our various instruments. (laughs) Um, But I will turn this over to you, Oz. Oh, well, you could do more in a moment. Not too much to say about this movie. I thought it was pretty interesting that uh, we got this little Beatles motif going on on this quarantine movie show from yesterday to this. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you notice that? Here's a fun fact for you. Did you notice that the Beatles were the only real band that they name-dropped in this whole movie? Oh, yeah. Almost every other movie and singer is fake. They, they, They have a substitute. For everything, even the jazz singers that our hero whips off, our drummer hero whips off, are fake. But for some reason, they throw in the Beatles a couple of times. They name drop them. Yeah, next time I talk to Tom, I'll ask him about that. Well, tell him this, too. I'm not surprised that this is one of his own favorite movies, because my theory on this movie is that for him, this is his alternate universe for his career. If he hadn't become an actor, this is what he would have done, or at least... That's what he likes to imagine, I think. That was my theory watching this movie. It's a pretty enjoyable film. It's not very heavy. It's not very deep. The conflict isn't really massive. I didn't really get 100% why the lead singer-songwriter wanted to quit the band, especially so early. And I really don't get how he would later record two gold records with the same label. But these are tiny little bits. Um, It's certainly an enjoyable movie. I seem to remember the first time I saw it, I came out with the impression that they really only had one song. But I noticed on this viewing, The Wonders actually had three or four songs. So I actually did play a couple of other things other than That Thing You Do. But That Thing You Do does get played a lot. That gets like 13 or 14 spins on this movie in various forms. Decent movie. Go ahead. Hit me with some more trivia, Rachel. Go ahead. So most only two of the four band members had any experience with their respective instruments. Uh, That would be Steve Zahn and TB player. Another fun fact hidden there. The bass player doesn't actually get a name only TV player or the bass player. And this is a joke by Tom Hanks saying how underappreciated bass players tend to be. They rehearsed for several weeks. I read in an Entertainment Weekly interview. They rehearsed together for several weeks individually and then together as a band in order to at least be able to mimic. They were actually playing the songs, but they were playing when they were actually shooting. They were playing professionally recorded music over it. But they were in sync so well and had such great chemistry that the extras and the other actors on set had no idea that they weren't actually singing and playing the song. And they were in for a, a fun surprise afterwards. I think I think those were my favorite fun facts from this. I mean, I, I could I have a few more, but I don't have them written down. So, yeah, let's uh, 
Shall we go on to uh, another Tom Hanks film? Well, let's give the rundown. We've been doing this on this show in the interest of helping you kill a lot of time during quarantine time. Oh, I'm excited for this. Okay, here we go. Tom Hanks has a nice run. Again, sort of in parallel to Bill Murray's, he came up a little bit later into Hollywood. Uh, He was in TV a little bit later than Bill Murray, but, you know, lasted a bit longer as well and gets way more Oscar nominations than Bill Murray. This guy gets nominated for everything. Right. So here we go from 1984 to 2014, 30 Tom Hanks movies. Ready? Splash. Bachelor Party. The Man with One Red Shoe. Volunteers. The Money Pit. Nothing in Common. Big. Punchline. Joe versus the Volcano. The Bonfire of the Vanities, A League of Their Own, which I'll talk about in more detail momentarily. Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Apollo 13, That Thing You Do, which we've talked about. Saving Private Ryan, The Green Mile, Castaway, Road to Perdition, Catch Me If You Can, The Lady Killers, and The Terminal. Now, that doesn't quite include everything he's done. You may have noticed that I didn't include Forrest Gump, because I hate it, and you've got mail, because I really don't like it very much. But if you want to include those, hey, that's 32 in 30 years. That's a pretty good run, all imminently watchable, and that's what? So I would say a good 52, 53 hours. That's some good time filling right there. Yeah, that's more than a full-time job. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's a full-time job, plus you're working the weekends as well. You're working on Tom Hanks movies. So amidst this list... As we were putting together the schedule for the quarantine edition of the MacGuffin Report, I figured, hmm, what else can I do? Well, since we're not going to do sports movies, I'll do a Tom Hanks sports movie. A League of Their Own. Definitely one of the most highly watchable movies from the 90s at all like how it's set in the time period for example but i would have no problem recommending a league of their own even to folks who don't care about sports of any ages um there's something about baseball that just looks really good on film yeah you've got the green field you've got the nice the earthy brown dirt on the infield you've got the white lines you've got the white bases you know you've got the nice colored uniforms you've got the the umpire in black right because he's the bad guy it's 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 very nice to look at it's a very nice visual palette to start a movie from right and 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 one of the things you'll notice about league of their own especially as you get higher and higher definition versions of this is wow the colors pop in this film it really looks nice, even when they're in, I don't know, what would you call that, civvies? Even when they're in their normal outfits and stuff, the colors really look nice in this movie. It's a really great-looking film. Uh, but one of my personal favorite things about this movie is that it shows everything that's wrong with my five least favorite words in film, and it does it in a good way. Rachel, do you remember I've talked about this before on McGuffin Report? What are my five least favorite words in film? And now more than ever, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. No, based on a true story. Mm, yes, I remember this. Let's talk about based on a true story. A League of Their Own is based on the true story of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which was in operation between 1943 and 1954. Gina Davis stars as Dottie Hinson, 
who is based on the real life AAGPBL star Dorothy Kamenshek. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. You can see why they went with Hinson for the movie. Who was not actually a catcher and did not have a younger sister in the league. But Gina Davis has Lori Petty as her younger sister. Also among their teammates on the Rockford Peaches are Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, and Tracy Reiner, daughter of director Penny Marshall. And, of course, Mr. Reliable Tom Hanks is on hand as manager, bitter manager, let's say, Joe Dugan. Now... Here's the thing. Basically, the only thing A League of Their Own takes from the true story, and I'm making air quotes here, are the names of the teams and the league. That's it. Here's a couple of fun facts for you. The league was, in fact, not in financial trouble. Ever. In the 1940s, in the days before TVs were in every home, Americans were starved for any kind of live baseball. Americans were nuts for live baseball in those days, okay? They had no problem selling these games, right? In fact, this is the reason why the league folded in the 50s is because people started getting tired of it in the 50s when they had TVs and radios in every home and could listen to professional baseball again, which was integrated, by the way, too, at that point. All right, so here's another example for you. Tom Hanks' character. Tom Hanks' character is based on a guy called Jimmy Fox. Now, Jimmy Fox was a guy who, in professional baseball, he was basically the number two home run hitter of his day behind a guy you might have heard of, Babe Ruth. And uh, a few times in preseason games, Jimmy Fox played either with or against a woman named Babe Didrikson. Now, those who have heard the Sports History Podcast, Truly the Goats, Episode 4, hosted by this guy named Oz Davis and with voiceover work by Rachel Wong, know that Babe Didrikson was probably the greatest female athlete of all time. Okay, Now, the point here is that Jimmy Fox was hardly this embittered, alcoholic, cynic, you know, who didn't believe in this game that they were playing. No, he was positive about women's baseball. He was positive about women's athletes. He respected their talent, and he was certainly an excellent manager for the Rockford Peaches in the Girls Baseball League. But see, that's the thing. This is the irrelevance of based on a true story. If the scriptwriters had stuck to reality, all right, they would have been missing all of the drama, all of the backstories, all of the funny bits that you get in a league of their own, right? Instead, we get this nice, imminently rewatchable movie that's fun, it's mostly believable, and it's satisfying, you know? Again, Based on a true story doesn't matter. Based on a good story does matter. A League of Their Own is a good story. I saw this movie for the first time at a friend's house. I believe her dad recommended it to us. So that was a really fun afternoon as a kid. While I'm not really into baseball, I thought it was a really entertaining, well-made, and enjoyable movie. It has a really fun ensemble cast, and who doesn't love to watch a Tom Hanks movie? So, yeah, if you haven't seen this one, I would recommend checking it out. You can check that out. You can check out Cloud Atlas, and you can you know, just squint when the Korea parts come on so you don't notice the makeup. <laughs> or, or the, or the Deep can, South. You can watch <laughs> that thing you do, and you can watch 29 other Tom Hanks movies to help you fill some time during this quarantine. You want to wrap it, Rachel? Let's wrap it.
Thanks for joining us on another quarantine edition of the MacGuffin Report with my co-host, Oz Davis. Walter, we miss you. We hope you're staying safe. Um, we want to shout out to our followers. If you want to follow us on social media as well, just search the MacGuffin Report podcast on Facebook and on Twitter. We are at the MacGuffin Pod. So give us a follow. Say hi. Shoot us a movie recommendation. What are you watching in quarantine? Let us know. Stay safe. Be well. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. We'll see you next time. Thank you.